You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to 15 Minutes of Flame, where we talk and talk about sex, cannabis, and other things in between. I am Dr. V. Helene, and today is June 9th. 2019. Today I have guest Dr. Theodore Nicholson, biomedical engineer. He is interested in improving patient experiences across multiple industries, including medical device development and product manufacturing. He has a BS in chemistry and a master's and PhD in biomedical engineering. He manages medical device engineering projects with a core team and multiple additional vendor teams working to collect data from a specific patient population in the hopes of providing a behavioral diagnosis using cloud-based data storage processing and analysis. In addition to all this, Theo is also a member of several professional engineering groups and works to develop programs for individuals from K through 12, college, graduate, and professional areas to promote education and minority participation in academia and industry within, within and beyond STEM. Welcome, my very smart brother, Dr. Theo. How are you? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Dr. V. So, I'm happy to be here and excited. Great, great. So um, we're going to get into some of the good stuff that uh, you're working on and just some of the job outlooks and prospects about um, bioengineering and the cannabis industry in a minute. Uh, First, I want to give out a little bit of cannabis news we can use and events that are going on this weekend and this month. Um, So this weekend is the High Times Cannabis Cup in Clio, Michigan. And I'm here instead of there. Um, that's happening uh, now was yesterday and today. And um, Brother Too Short, I think, is performing today. And so I'm sure that's going to be a lots of fun. Um, and the other big cannabis event, um, there's another one, actually, the uh, Medical Cannabis Summit. I may not be saying that correctly, but that was also uh, in Michigan this weekend. And then a bigger event, well, I'm not sure how big, but... Um, it is big because they've been having this summit for a few years now, and it continues to grow, actually. Uh, the Women's Grow Summit happening now in Washington, D.C. as well. So I'm just loving all this cannabis energy for consumers and uh, entrepreneurs and activists. So there's a lot of cannabis energy going on this week. Um, in addition to that, since we last uh, were in the studio, we just found out that Illinois, hey, Chicago, the Illinois legislator just signed a bill to legal, legalize cannabis in that state, which means they didn't have to go through the ballot like New Jersey's trying to do. So maybe Illinois legalizing it through their legislature may help out states like New Jersey and New York uh, get their process a little moving faster. Um, but what about Georgia? Theo, you are in Georgia. What's current with their uh, progress in the cannabis industry? I know it's legal there medically, but I'm not exactly sure if people can buy it in the state or something like that. So Georgia is very unique. um, And I think listening to you describe these other states that have gone 
fully legal, and I know that Michigan also is one of those. Uh, Georgia's kind of behind the times, actually. So yeah. right now, Georgia has passed House Bill 213 and House Bill, I think it's 324. So the first bill that I mentioned allows for folks to grow hemp. And as you know, you can get CBD from hemp and other right. products. And so uh, manufacturers in the state are going to be able to grow hemp freely. Okay. The other thing that uh, Bill 324 did is allow for processing and cultivation of uh, medical marijuana plants with the sole purpose of low THC products. So these are all products that are containing less than 5% THC. So it's a very limited bill, and basically it allows for companies to produce the CBD oil products and the low THC uh, products but it doesn't really allow for recreational use or the use of flour for medical purposes. So it's a very limited bill. Um, I was actually, just before this call, reading a segment that was written by the House Majority Leader. It's a Republican by the name of, I think it's John Burns. Mm -hmm. He actually is a proponent of the incremental uh, steps toward legalization, but he made a very distinct statement around eliminating any sort of recreational use. So hopefully folks can go ahead and uh, vote him out of the leadership so that we can get moving on some real progress. But that's where Georgia is. It's a little behind, and they'll only have very limited licenses. And so one of the things that they're dealing with is actually uh, we already have CBD in the state, and we've already had it legal for people to possess medical marijuana products if they have certain conditions. Right. So this is kind of a bill that doesn't, it, it may make things a little bit difficult to regulate, given that there's already CBD on the market, on the consumer market in Georgia that did not come from Georgia. So those challenges are ahead for the state. But yeah, it's kind of backwards a little bit. Right. So, yeah, I was wondering about that because, you know, with with the thing that happened out in Texas and Dallas, they had the guy who had CBD and he got arrested for it, you know, with Atlanta being like a huge hub for transportation, especially flights in and out. You know, I just wonder how those laws would be affected, too. I mean, I know that's probably on the federal level, but now that I guess medical patients might have a way to actually access it, you know, can they carry their medicines with them when they go out of town, you know, that kind of thing. So, um yeah, Georgia is behind. A lot of the southern states are behind, actually. That that whole little, kind of really the Bible Belt seems to be slower on even moving with medical marijuana um, compared to the rest of the states. Um, so let's get back to some of the things that you do. Now, uh, you know, the cannabis industry has been projecting many jobs. Um, most assume the growth of dispensaries and cultivators, you know, but obviously you have the production side. Um, for example, I was just looking at um, uh, reading a job outlook on Leafly. You know, that's the cannabis friendly app where you can find out so much information. Uh, but anyway, they did a special report. And, and Forbes also reported the same thing, that as of 2019, cannabis has produced 211,000 jobs. Now, that's a, that's a lot of jobs, you know. Yeah, um, really impressive. 
is is really impressive. So any candidate running on the the cannabis ticket will probably bring this up. But um, not only that, uh, there was a um, a state to state outlook that they did. And since, you know, I'm between Michigan and Jersey, uh, Michigan is obviously more for it than Jersey. But a, the total amount of jobs in Michigan that they're projecting to be supported by the cannabis industry and that is 22,000. OK, that's a lot of jobs for the state and 15,000, almost 16,000 of those jobs are directly related to like the cultivation and um, production sides of it. So many of this would involve uh, uh, or create rather opportunities for people in STEM fields like biomedical engineering, bioinformatics. Um, these are two areas that you have experience in and you also perform regulatory management consulting within and work with other colleagues to provide quality and regulatory services to cannabis manufacturing uh, companies in an effort to prepare the companies for increased government scrutiny. Um, so tell us more about your project and what other type of opportunities do you see coming up in the STEM fields or like bioengineering and bioinformatics uh, in the cannabis industry? Yeah, great question. So I work for a company or with a company and a part of a, part of a company called Soil to Soul. Uh, that organization is, uh, we've got a physician, myself, you know, coming from an engineering background and a couple of quality auditors and engineers. Okay. And so what we're trying to do is prepare companies for dealing with the regulatory changes within the, in, within the industry. So as you move toward a more regulated position, uh, all of the processes and procedures, you have to have some sort of documentation around them. Okay. And you have to have an eye for process improvement if you want to keep things safe. And by things, I mean your products, like your cannabis products, safe for your patients, so safe and effective. So one of the things that we do is help companies create systems that ensure those uh, drugs will be safe and effective for the end user. It's basically applying the same principles from the pharmaceutical and medical device industries and any other uh, highly regulated industry to the cannabis industry. Okay. And so you're asking, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, okay. Yeah. So uh, one of the, the job types that come from that, obviously, is this quality engineering, quality manager, sort of um, certified auditor that comes in and either working with the company or on behalf of uh, a federal agency is going to look at, or a state agency, I should say, is going to look at how they're processing their products and make sure that those processes are aligned with whatever state standards there are. Um, in states like Georgia, where there isn't a lot of uh, medical marijuana products already and there's not a lot of knowledge, some of these auditing bodies, and specifically the company that I'm working with, will start to set up and privatize some of these services. So already in MedDevice, like we have third-party auditors that work on behalf of these international societies to certify that you are compliant with those standards. Now, the FDA and other federal groups look at that, but they don't necessarily utilize that solely to say, yep, you're okay, those medical products are good. They also have their own auditing services. Okay. And the cannabis industry needs to get, you know, on board with that because that's where we're going, essentially. 
Okay. And, you know, you say that, and it's interesting because um, when I went to the dispensary in Michigan about a week or so ago, um, it was the third time that I visited this dispensary, and they gave me this paper. And I'm like, do you have to give me this paper every time? And I was so happy that they did it once the lady explained to me what it was for. And she said, you know, actually, all of the dispensaries should be doing this, which is why I'm not mentioning this dispensary's name right now. I don't want to get others in trouble. But um, it is a sheet from the state of Michigan, the licensing board or whatever. And it basically lists all of the things that the cannabis has not been tested for. And I was just like, wow, you know, I like to be a healthy consumer of whatever I get. You know what I mean? I'm the type of person that will stand in the store and look at my ingredients and all of that stuff for a few minutes to make sure I'm getting a healthy product. So when I saw that, I was so appreciative because there were things on it like it wasn't tested for um, foreign matter, whatever that might mean chemical residue, um, medicals, metals screening and things like that, certain types of metals. So I'm just like, wow. So when you talk about making sure we have safe products, um, you know, is, is the knowledge of testing, knowing what we're testing for in addition to creating, I guess, the technology to do it. Correct. Absolutely. So right now, um, People are using like high-performance liquid chromatog- chromatography, HPLC, to determine cannabinoids in their products, right? Okay. But terpenes, which are a form of the cannabinoid, uh, uh, which are a form of cannabinoid, that class essentially are these uh, aromatic oils that give it, you know, give cannabis its smell and odor, and can also interplay with CBD and THC to create different effects medicinally. So they looked at extracts versus um, wholly incorporated products through a variety of combinations with these terpenes, which they measured using uh, gas chromatography and mass spectrometry, which is a little bit different since terpenes are so volatile. But anyway, uh, chemistry aside, they are looking at having more information about what's actually in the product from a cannabinoid standpoint, but also you mentioned the safety impact. So looking at all these trace compounds and potential contaminants is a big part of it. So proper testing would get you safety and um, efficacy of your drug. Like you'd have that information. And I can imagine that consumers would love to have that because I know as a consumer, I would definitely love to have that. So I know what I'm getting and what to expect. And that's where the industry, I think people and companies, dispensaries, and even growers that are actually getting that information about their products will be better positioned than those that aren't. And the best way to get that information is to hire people with that background. So you can hire people that know how to test for these compounds and investigate how to improve these processes. And those are typically people in the STEM field. Um, And so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, you said chemistry aside, but, you know, now chemistry hasn't been more fun now that cannabis is allowing us to do new things with a product that many people enjoy. And, you know, you mentioned that you work with young people, you know, and even the college level, because 
STEM is something that's still a little scary for a lot of people. It involves math and science, but these are really unique fields, you know. And so the kids who are being the nerds and studying all this chemistry and math and all this stuff, they're going to be the ones that are positioning themselves to get the jobs as this industry is growing. Um, Because, you know, some schools are opening up degrees in marijuana cannabis cultivation and production and things like that but the student who goes to school and says hey okay i got this degree in chemistry or biology but uh, i changed my mind on med school they have an opportunity to to get in the cannabis industry you know with their science background so that's uh something that i'm really happy and and i'm also proud that you're working towards helping young people uh become stem friendly you know and stem aware Right. And I think it's really that introduction that helps, like you said, it helps project or at least allow people to see what else is out there. Maybe I don't want to just go into STEM and be a teacher or a doctor, but I can go grow, you know, cannabis because I learn a whole ton about botany, right? Or I learn a lot about engineering and I create this really nice indoor grow house with, you know, very good irrigation, for example, or I develop a tool to improve lighting. So all of those things are, like, really important for the industry and also really exciting for kids. I mean, not for kids, but for people that are in school looking to study these uh, sort of topics. Absolutely. Now, the funny thing is, I I wonder, I just wonder, because I used to teach for the New York City Board of Ed, and I was a science teacher, earth science at that. (laughs) And I I just wonder what's going to happen when that one kid comes to class and his science project is all about cannabis. Because it's something that, you know, is is popular. People are talking about it. It's not all the way acceptable, but a lot more people are accepting it. So I'm just wondering if kids are going to start using, like, cannabis as their science projects. Just a thought. But I think it's a great thought because it's a plant. And I mean, if someone's just growing it for the purposes of looking into the genetics of the plant or explaining some uh, botanical concept, why not? Like it is an interesting thing to study that's a part of our world. So it's really weird that it's been illegal and prohibited for so long. And it has had a huge impact on how it's researched and analyzed. And even the bioinformatics of the genomics of that plant aren't well known Mm -hmm. because of prohibition. So, yeah. You know, you were talking about, is the word Topher's? Topher's? The terpenes or whatever? T-E-R-P-E-N-E-S. Yep. Terpenes. Now, would the terpenes be the part of the plant that has the basically crystalline part that gives us the sticky icky, or is that another part of the plant? Uh, so I'm not a botanist, and I should have okay. probably looked this up before the call, but I think it is because okay. it's essentially the oils that are on the plant that give it its, uh, the aromatics. Okay. So you know when you have notes of, like, blueberry or, or some sort of citrus or mm-hmm. whatever, like soury kind of flavor, like the diesel flavors? So those are all coming from a combination of the terpenes and whatever cannabinoid, other cannabinoid profile of the plant. Um, at least to my knowledge. So maybe we can get a botanist to talk to that. Yeah, I'm going to have to get a bunch of scientists on here so we can talk about it and educate people and get them all into the STEM field. But, um, you know, it's funny, yeah, the aromatics. 
You know, I, I usually talk on Sunshine Number 4. I haven't talked today, and that's okay. I'm just coming down a little bit off of a rainbow gummy that I love. Shout out to Motor City Cannabites for those nice, flavorful gummy ribbons. But um, anyhow, um, so yeah, I, speaking of STEM, let's talk about some stimulating activities in cannabis. Um, and interestingly enough... Once you and I met, we realized that we had two friends that actually had a common experience. Um, my friend Tafari, who was on the show uh, back in April, went on a yoga retreat with your friend Lauren. And, uh, you know, he, he talked about that experience. But one of the things that... Um, I enjoy that he actually does here in Detroit uh, is a yoga cannabis event. When the weather breaks, he does it like outdoors and, you know, it's like a yoga brunch cannabis friendly event. And so I'm starting to see more and more uh, people theme cannabis events to have fun and do stimulating type activities. Uh, what have you heard of or what do you think about that? So I was actually talking about this yesterday uh, with a few friends as I was partaking in some blue diesel myself. So one of the things that we noted, and this is probably anecdotal, so I'm sure there's evidence to the contrary, but a friend of mine was describing how he had smoked and then went and played basketball, you know, when he was a little bit younger. It was one of the first times he had, he had done that. And everything was falling. And he was kind of like, wow, this is a really crazy experience. How is this happening? And the best thing that we could surmise, and I think this goes, at least for me, with a lot of strains, it just allows you to release your inhibitions and that inner voice that's like, hey, be worried about this or that or the other thing. Mm -hmm. And when you release that, you can just act. And I think your, your ability to uh, go with the flow, as it were, is a lot higher. So for something like yoga in particular or meditation, a lot of people find that using cannabis can relax your inner voice so that you're no longer worried about, well, am I in the right position? Is this downward dog good? Or, you know, you're not right. overthinking it. You're just doing it. And really the flow and the breath is what you should be focused on in yoga and being able to do that uh, while high can be really great. So, yeah, that sounds like a really good experience. Yeah, I, I know. Um, I know it sounds like dangerous just even thinking about it in my head. But when I did live in Brooklyn, I used to ride my bike, I mean, to the park. And I don't know, it was just something about that exhilarating feeling. You know, you just feel relaxed and you're enjoying the summer and you just enjoy the breeze. And I don't know, it just elevated that particular experience. But I was also doing some cardio. And so my body was doing all of these feel good type of movements anyway, that just probably increased, you know, um, I guess, as the cannabis relaxes us. Um but, you know, I'm starting to see other things, not just like exercise and cannabis, um, but more puff and paint parties, um, sex talk and cannabis and other type of soirees. 
even more research studies saying stimulating activities like having sex uh, may increase the chances of more stimulating orgasms for women, according to um, a, a recent study in a journal of sexual medicine. Um, I mean, they said token up right before sex may lead up to more intense orgasms. And another study even said that cannabis users actually have more sex, which I thought that was interesting. You know, sex is exercise. Sex is, is, is an activity that relieves stress. I mean, it's, it's work, you know, it's activity. Um, but it's enjoyable activity for most people, I would assume. But um, so it's interesting because when I said, wow, you mean to tell me more chiefers have sex? People would think that you would stoop out. You would, you know, be too tired or be too lackadaisical to have sex. So I thought that was a bit interesting. And then I thought about myself. I said, you know what? Hmm. I don't understand. One of the questions I've always had was, how can people who live together only have sex like once a week? I'm glad I don't have that problem. <laughs> so um, right. maybe I went to the cannabis. Okay. I don't know. But uh, what are your thoughts about stimulating sexual activities uh, with cannabis? So I'll say this. In my experience, cannabis, and I guess I don't want to say similar to alcohol, but I think it, it relaxes you, right? So cannabis relaxes you. It puts you in a state of euphoria in some cases. Uh, you can also get tired, as you mentioned, but sometimes you can be energetic, and it really all depends on the profile of the cannabinoids in the strain that you're imbibing. So all of those sort of things, I think, are, are driving whether or not you're going to get an increase in this pleasurable experience. But I will say that smoking or using an edible or whatever before having any sort of sexual activity, I think it just, it puts you in that mindset of relaxation and openness, which allows you to get out of your head about sex, which yes. I think um, really improves your ability to connect to someone else. Cause you're not thinking about yourself in those moments. You're like, what is their pleasure? And I'm also experiencing pleasure so how can I connect to them and let's move forward to this higher plane of pleasure together? Right. So, yeah, I think it helps with that. But, I mean, you can do it without that. I'm not saying that you have to have uh, or be high to have sex oh, in that way. Oh, saying that. That's right. But, yeah. True. <laughs> You're saying what? I said absolutely not saying that you have to be high before sex. That <laughs> Right. Right. Uh, we agree <laughs> on that. <laughs> But one of the things I am interested in is actually research around cannabis kind of expanding as we get closer to federal legalization. Like once that happens, and hopefully they let everyone out of jail as part of that, but once that happens, you would see an increase in information around things like this. Like no one has yes. really studied for years the effects of cannabis on motor function, on uh, sexuality on, you know, pleasure, all of these sort of things that are studied in other areas and with other, uh, compounds. So I think I'm interested in seeing that mm -hmm. because I believe that that will change what goes on in the U S as far as the stigma around that drug. Like my experience with cannabis has not matched the experience that I was taught. It would be before I ever used it. Right. So 
I just I'm interested in seeing how uh, legalization improves the information mm-hmm. around cannabis in areas like sex and cannabis, too. Right. Um, when I was looking at actually that article, um, one of the things it mentioned was a study in 1984. It was a survey where uh, they had like almost two thirds of the women who responded or maybe they didn't say women per se, but two thirds of the people who were uh, responded to that survey said that they had increased pleasure and sexual satisfaction after they used cannabis. And I was like, oh, wow, they were actually studying that in the 80s, you know, because in the 80s is when they really was to say no to drugs and all that kind of stuff. And even now with certain populations um, like veterans, it was really hard to like just study cannabis use in certain populations. So you're right. It will open up the door to talk more or do more research into some of these areas. I remember um, maybe about three or four years ago, I don't know, I just started doing my own research about cannabis and women and the reproductive system. And so I'm very few. There's not a lot of research out there, but I was really surprised to see that there was some current research about cannabis use and pregnancy because obviously if women are becoming consumers or have been consumers you know people want to know how that's going to affect pregnancy fertility and all of those things so um yeah it is definitely gonna open up the door um for more types of researches uh research studies in those particular areas um there was something else i was going to say a minute ago but i forgot it's okay um other things in sexuality, though. So just like cannabis, you know, we have activism going on. Um, LGBT month, LGBT pride month is June. And this month is also men's sexual health. Well, I'm saying I'm making up my own. It's men's health month. (laughs) But I'm going to share some sexual health facts for men in a few. But first, um, I wanted to mention Pride because this is the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots. Um, And before I get into that really quick, This weekend in Detroit, it's a whole lot going on in Michigan this weekend. This is Detroit Pride weekend right now as well. Um, So many cities across the country are going to be celebrating Pride um, and especially the 50th anniversary of Stonewall riots because in 1969, this was the event that kind of was the catalyst to um, spearhead the gay rights movement. And what happened uh, that summer in 1969 is, you know, the Stonewall Inn is in Greenwich Village in uh, New York City. Um, It was a bar where gay and trans persons would hang often and they would get harassed by NYPD every now and then. And this one particular night, they just got sick of it and they fought back and threw whatever they had in their hands and the brawl ended up spilling out into the streets and it was a big deal because there were many protests for days and days later. Um, And people were just sick of the mistreatment, the discrimination, the harassment um, and violence towards gay and trans persons. And so um, this year 
is going to be a really big celebration in New York um, honoring this. And not only that, um, New York City's police commissioner, actually, um, James O'Neill, he was quoted as actually apologizing for NYPD's role in this. So, um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how these things play out. Um, Because in the UK, a friend of mine just sent me an article, and and it's a sad way to start out Pride Month, but two women were actually attacked on a tour bus, one of those tour buses in London. So, you know, we still have a long way to go. The same way people have uh, certain stigmas around cannabis people have stigma around people's sexuality and really people's choices and people engaging in what they feel they want to engage in what's true to them and their reality you know why can't we just let people be free to be to do you know as long as they're not violating themselves or anybody else i don't understand it but um here we are in 2019 still having to deal with things like this. But hopefully, you know, it will be a really, really great Pride Month and um, all of these celebrations. I know Atlanta usually has one. Is theirs in June? Uh, I think it is in June. I'm not as familiar with the one here in Atlanta, but I need to get more familiar. Um, I've actually, you spoke about some of the violence as a way to kind of start the conversation, but I think that we really need to do better, especially during this month, but all year, to increase the visibility of the situation uh, of violence against women and specifically uh, trans women or women who identify as trans, because I think that all of those uh, individuals are being specifically targeted. And in this day and age, with the current culture and climate shifting and moving in different directions, they're being distinctly targeted and trans women of color more so than anyone else. And I think that if we, if anything comes out of these uh, celebrations of pride month, I would hope that cisgendered people like myself and people that are straight can at least see that advocacy is absolutely necessary and we need to work to protect people that are marginalized and continually attacked. So, yeah, I, I think that um, not to start it or take it to that direction or that note, but I think it's very important that people understand that it's more than just, you know, rainbow colors. People are hurting, and this is where it comes from. So you mentioned Stonewall, and that that riot was actually started by the NYPD, but the a transgender woman um, was the individual that initiated the defensive reaction to their initial aggression. So I, I really, right, right. I those was individuals have sparked the movement. I'm sorry to cut you off. I was just saying that was Marsha <laughs> P. Johnson and, and I believe Sylvia Rivera, because they were both pioneers in the gay liberation movement and uh, were very organized back then. And, and, you know, so sorry to cut you off. But, yeah, that that's who no, I think no, we're no, talking right. about. <laughs> yeah, I just think that if, if I'm... I'm glad that there's increased visibility and I'm glad that that people are finally allowing people to love who they love, be who they are and, and just exist without having to explain themselves or fear violent retribution. Uh, But we have a long way to go. So we do. 
You know, I don't understand what home land of the free, home of the brave means. I mean, you got to be brave enough and confident enough to be yourself that you are comfortable with everybody else being themselves, you know. So, um, but we'll see where we get with that. So the other thing um, I mentioned was National Men's Health Month. And, you know, I just think it's important for a lot of guys to know this because, uh, I want to say they probably strategically planned this around Father's Day because there's a lot of awareness going on and a lot of celebration of men during the month. Um, and they actually have a National Men's Health Day, which is June 14th, close to Father's Day. So when we think about people like John Singleton, Prince, Steve Jobs, Jay Dilla, Fife Dog, you know, all of these guys died under 60 years old. They did not become a senior. So, you know, it's really important for men to make sure they go to the doctors, get checkups, educate yourself on your health issues, because men don't go to the doctor nearly as much as women do. Uh, And that means that if they have something going on and get to it too late, it's going to cost more to treat it. And you may not even be able to get through a successful treatment, depending on what it is. So. Since I'm a sexologist, I'll focus to the sexual health side of things. So I have a little icebreaker activity, Theo, if you don't mind me using you as a guinea pig. Can we just do a little true-false quiz about men's sexual health? Uh, I'm always open to being used as a guinea pig. I understand how that sounds. So, <laughs> Okay. So um, I know we're, we're, we're researchers and scientists. We probably have done experiments, right? So, okay. I, I, I'm glad you understand. Thank you. Yep. So let's see how much you know. All right. True or false? Let's talk about semen. The chief active ingredient of semen is cellulose true or false active ingredient what do you mean by active did i say active i didn't mean to say active that's 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 the drugs talking i'm sorry (laughs) 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 let's just stick to chief ingredient (laughs) that that would be the cannabis talking (laughs) i i have tasted semen in my day and i don't remember like getting high off of it or anything having any effects so I was just, I was like, man, I need to, what is the active ingredient? It just made me laugh. <laughs> Giving chemistry new ideas, right? Okay, no, the chief right. ingredient <laughs> in semen is cellulose. True or false? You know, I think it's seminal fluid, but I'm not really sure, like, what your volume ratio is. So I'm going to say false, but false. I don't I don't have the, the right answer. Okay, well... Your answer is correct because it is false. The chief ingredient, and let's just use a teaspoon of ejaculate as our measure, okay? The chief ingredient of semen is fructose. Hmm, okay. That would be more sweet than some other type of toast. Okay. Um, So let's ask another question. Let me just ask you to fill in the blank. Let's see if you know this one. The average speed of ejaculation is blank miles per hour. I feel like it's like 20 plus 20 miles an hour. 
almost 30, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's like five. I'm not sure. Let's go 20 and then we'll see. Okay. You're, you're, you're good. Okay, Theo. 25 miles per hour. You were right. You said somewhere between 20 and 30. Okay. Now, see, and this is the thing. You know, these might be nuanced facts, but it's important for guys to know, okay, about their bodies. You walk around in them all year long, all your lives. These might be facts you want to know. All righty, let's go to something else. Now, this is probably a, 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 a Guinness World Book of Record, you know, type of thing. What do you think the farthest medically recorded ejaculation was? Talk about shooting your shot 25 miles per hour. <laughs> okay, so I, without getting too personal, I think that this is going to be a lot farther than what people think because it can be a lot farther than what people think. Okay. So I'm going to, like, probably... 25 feet 20 feet something like that because yeah i think it's something somewhere around there someone has to have hit something of that distance wowzers okay now that's a little john skeet 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 if it can reach that far jeez now that would be a heck of a record but unfortunately the farthest medically recorded ejaculate reached 11.7 inches so almost a foot wait only a foot only a foot <laughs> I, so I, I, was like, I don't think that okay. I, I don't know i don't uh, think that <laughs> I'm it, just gonna it, say, it, it may not I, be correct so may and it says medically recorded so that might not right, be the right. guinness world book of records maybe they do have something different on file now i gotta go out and research that that's funny i mean i I didn't medically record, but like I'm sure that there are recordings on file in mm -hmm. the United States that best that distance. And, so I'm know, and I'm sure <clears throat> there are other guys out there that are just curious and probably have done some anecdotal information too. Speaking of, you know, like, polls, that might be home. an interesting poll. <laughs> Homework. <laughs> Fellas, go ahead and uh, set out some measuring measurement tools. Remember to account for, you know, the falling. Well, actually, you don't have to. And go ahead and try to get into a room with little airflow and then make some measurements. Take some shots. Okay. Yeah, that's that. That would be interesting. Now I am actually curious about it. Okay. Uh, let's just see one last one. So, obviously, so that they don't knock together. It's funny they call women's breast knockers slang term, but they don't call balls knockers. But anyway, in order to prevent them from knocking, one testicle hangs lower than the other in about 80, 85% of the male population. Which testicle hangs lower? The left testicle or the the larger one. I don't know. That is correct. It is the left testicle and it is usually a bit larger. All right. So hmm. you, you, you know your male sexual biology pretty well, I'll say. <laughs> some background in anatomy, some anecdotal evidence. 
<laughs> okay, okay. And you know what? M- most people should be their own experiments. How are you going to tell somebody else what you like and what you used to and how to give it to you if you don't figure these things out sometimes for yourself, right? So Yes, yeah, please explore your bodies, please. It, it's a wonderful place. It is. And, you know, and, 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 and I'll leave with this because Jocelyn Elder, she's one of my sheroes. And, you know, she used to be the Surgeon General for Bill Clinton. And they fired her when um, she talked about masturbation being taught as a way of having safe sex. I mean, it's, if you want to have sex outside of abstinence, because abstinence is not sex, but sex with yourself is probably the safest thing you can do. But she got fired because of that. But she'll always be my shero because she was right. Anyhow. She was she was absolutely right. I mean, yeah, our society has a long way to go, V. A long way to go. <laughs> In so many areas, right? So Yeah. Um, so many different I wanna thank you, Theo, for joining me today. A very smart brother giving us some good scientific information and knowledge on the cannabis industry. If you want to give anyone information about your organizations or anything, you can do that. Or if, if it's still in the works, that's okay, too. Sure. Uh, well, my consulting business is just TRN3 uh, Consulting. And you can find me some way, I guess, on <clears throat> Twitter. It's just Dr. Underscore TN3. And then... Um, the business that I was talking about that has certified quality auditors and provides quality management services for cannabis manufacturers and dispensaries, that company is called Soil to Soul. Um, and one of the things that they're really, really trying to do is use cannabis products to eventually eliminate opioid addiction. Um, and it's one of the key research areas recently that has shown cannabis can eliminate uh, or reduce the dependency on opioids, which is a, a big deal. So yeah, that's I just want to shout out to those two, two companies. Okay, thank you. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to have to talk about that on an upcoming show because I've been seeing that a lot as well, um, you know, yeah. cannabis replacing opioid use or decreasing it anyway. Um, and, and in head trauma too. So if you want to have some discussion around cannabis, potentially being used medicinally to really improve experiences and remove addiction and uh, help folks with severe head trauma, I think that would be a great topic for sure. Absolutely. Well, I might have to call you back then, Theo, and drop some knowledge. All right? All right. Sounds good. All righty. Thank you again for tuning in to 15 Minutes of Flame. And until next time, friends, stay sex positive and elevated.